Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms. Legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another another version of uh, Bill Roden on Sports. Here with... Uh, Co- my co-host, the great Jamal Murphy. Jamal, good to be here. Sat me riding the rails all day. You know, it's, it's rough out there, you know, NYC. <laughs> How rough can it be? Yeah, you know. yeah. Um, and uh, my guest is um, is really a, uh, a friend, uh, somebody I I didn't really know in high school, but I covered her in high school. She was sort of a mold-breaking player. Um, the great and wonderful Shamiqua Holsclaw. Shamiqua, welcome to Bill Road No Sports. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah, I know. And also on the line, uh, we have the producer and director of the um, of the uh, of the documentary, Rick Goldsmith. Rick, hey. Hi, Bill. Hi. It's good to be on your show. Particularly from wine country, right? Hey, that's right. I'm, yeah. I'm calling from California. Looking at the uh, at the Pacific Ocean, right? The waves going by, the porpoises swimming with a glass of Chardonnay. <laughs> that's right. It's heaven out here. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, welcome, Rick. Welcome, Rick and, and uh, Shamiqua. And this is a really uh, momentous occasion. You know, it's not it's not that often that people have um, movies, uh, uh, documentaries made about them. Um, at such an early age, but you've got a tremendous documentary that's coming out uh, May 3rd. The documentary is Mind Game, The Unquiet Journey of Shamiqua Holsclaw. You can catch it May 3rd at 9 p.m. on Logo. Right. So that's that's a really big deal. I mean, I know you've seen it like 99,000 times. What do you, what do you, how, how does it, how does it feel? Because one thing to you know, see a little bit of stuff, but how does it feel to actually see your story, particularly your story, on the screen, on the big screen? Wow, it definitely feels different because if I would have thought about it, a a story about me after my playing career, I would assume it was going to be about basketball, you know, and and my legacy um, that I, I would have left. But, you know, things happen, and, you know, I've had a unique journey, um, one that I've really had to shed a lot to be able to bring forth to people. So I'm proud of it. I'm, I'm definitely proud of it. But um, it was definitely some ups and downs. And every time I see it, it's like, wow, mm. I can see a person that's really grown. How, how difficult was it? Because you, you've had, I would say, a lot of challenges. It's just the challenges were well publicized. Right. But it's not like you had mm-hmm. a career of... <laughs> Of challenges, right, right. I mean, for the most part, your career was all on sort of a an upswing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, and we we've talked about this before. We talked about it at the Schomburg, yes, when we had our thing, and then it's a lot about mental health. Mm-hmm. And and I think that uh, you telling your story, just telling in that small group at the Schomburg, mm-hmm. was very courageous. How did this evolve, Shamiqua? How did you get the courage uh, to actually say, you know what, this? I want this to be, this is going to be my story. And uh, it's, it's back, basketball may be in the background, but this, the whole idea of mental health and my journey is going to be the story. How did that come about? Um, at first, I, I was really hesitant. I didn't want to put my business out there because, you know, that's where we're just, I was taught in my household, you know, just kind of 
keep the bad stuff, you know, to yourself and kind of move forth. But I just know the pain that it caused me. Um, I really was a type to, to suffer in silence. You know, I, like you said, I would go out there and do great things on a basketball court. But at home, um, there was like a lot of destruction, you know, suicide attempt, um, different things that really threw me off my past. And I just knew when I started speaking up about it, how it affected other people and how they said they gained strength for me. And when Rick came to me at first, I was like, no way. <laughs> I went home, thought about it some more. And I said, you know what? This is an opportunity to help a lot more people. And this may be my purpose at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So what finally convinced you to do it? Um, I, I would say Rick was pretty um, persistent and also just talking to my friends and my, my family. Um, I had been speaking about it, so I was comfortable comfortable with the platform. So I just wanted to move forth and uplift because you have so many kids each year, you know, taking their lives. And, mm. you know, so many people are, are just hiding behind their pain and someone needed to step up with the platform. And, and, I, and I did so. And now. And in the last couple of years, you have a lot of other athletes, you know, who are still in their prime, stepping forth, Brandon Marshall, you know, Hope Solo. It's it's something that needed to be dealt with. Hmm. Is it, uh, again, we talked about this before. Well, before I get into that, Rick, what was it like trying to convince Shamiqua to do it? How, I mean, I know how passionate you were. You tracked me down to do it. But, <laughs> but, but how, how, how difficult was it to convince? Well, I mean, why, why, were, why did you want to do it? Well, you know, it really started first with actually a column by you, Bill, in, in March of 2012 uh, that was about Shamiqua and it was about her career and then her mental health struggles and how she kind of reinvented herself as a mental health advocate. And it was a very, very inspiring story. So that was number one. And then number two, can I, can I do this film? Well, number two, what, what stuck in my mind was my best friend, Growing up, I went. I was best man at his wedding. Was Lon Babby, who was mm. Shamiqua's agent mm. uh, when she was, when she came out of college. So I contacted Lon, and he did the email introduction, and then we started talking. And you're right. I mean, there was a, there was a lot in her. You know, she was putting herself out on the table. She was taking a much bigger risk than I was. So. We had to talk and get comfortable with each other and and know what each other's motives were. And that, mm -hmm. you know, that took a little, little time, you know, a few months. <laughs> and, Years. Uh, <laughs> and and then, it, then it was a go. And, and we had to go on from there and continue to nurture that relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, I think what blew a lot of us away, Shamik, was because I never remember, I think my first contact with you, I don't even know if we met each other, was I remember driving down, you had some game with you at Christ the King. Oh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. Yeah, Altoona. <laughs> I remember driving to Altoona, down Pennsylvania, and it was snowing. You know, and it was snowing. And I'm like, well, who is this? You know, I mean, it's supposed to be the one that's kind of transforming the woman's game. Right. You know, and I, I remember driving my little red <laughs> bug down to Altoona, Pennsylvania, to see you play. And I think it was a good game. It wasn't, I don't think you were scoring like 100 points, but it's just the way you played. It was I hit just, my first 10 or 12 shots. That was pretty big now. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. She remembers. And we're about the same age, so I, you know, I remember you in high school. Okay. And I'm from Brooklyn. I, I went to Poly Prep. So okay. I, I remember you at Christ the King. Nisha Butler, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Poly Prep. And Chain I was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, and... uh. You were definitely a phenomenon at that time. So oh, thank you. Four straight 
New York State championships. I mean, that's a lot of championships. Yes. Four straight. But but what I do remember about that night, though, and I, I don't think we even talked, because I was just curious to see, is, again, not the points. I mean, clearly you remember that you hit tw- 10 straight. Mm-hmm. But I just remember the way you played. Mm-hmm. It's just the way you played, the, the confidence, sort of the... Um, I mean, you were really, I mean, you were really, I don't want to call it like me, but it was, it was, you were, it was sharp. You know, I grew up hard. playing with the guys. I, yeah. I was the only girl, so I had a little edge to me. Yeah, but yes. big edge, <laughs> big edge. I mean, like no expression. I mean, when I see you now, but for different reasons, you know, smile and, you know, but then it was like really all business. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, University of Tennessee, mm-hmm. tremendous success under Pat Summit. Mm-hmm. But I think the whole point of this is nobody knew unless we really knew you. Mm-hmm. We didn't really know all the stuff that was going on. Right. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. know about all the stuff that was going on in your house. Mm-hmm. And with your mom. And, and, I, and I think that, I'm like, wow, man, if we would have known then. And you really did a heck of a job of keeping up that front, but you paid a price for it. Oh, definitely. Um, in the end, I mean, I grew up with two parents that had addiction issues, um, you know, alcoholism. So I went to go live with my grandmother. And this is this type of household, and some households are like that in a black community, you know. Um, what stays in the, what goes on in the house stays in the house. Mm-hmm. And so my grandma used to always tell me to take that frustration that I have out in the basketball court. And that was like basketball became like the the equalizer. It's like my coping mechanism in a lot of ways. And that's mm-hmm. what I always did. But after a while, it's just um, something that wasn't really sustainable, so especially after I lost my grandmother. Mm-hmm. It was it was like a tortured uh, spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how much did and we talked about this before at, at the Schomburg, but even even today, I mean, when people talk about therapy, mm-hmm. and and I was I forgot who I was talking to somebody before, and and, and particularly the black community. Uh-huh. Let me say, man, uh, seriously, I mean, I'm talking, I'm not, I'm talking about like me. Mm-hmm. Yes, man, I can do this. I don't need, shit, who, I don't need anybody. I don't. Need, <laughs> it's almost like it's almost like a weakness. Definitely. It's almost perceived as a weakness. Right, perceived. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, perceived as a weakness yeah. to talk. To somebody, and I don't know how much of that went into your whether you were just basically it, things had gotten. If you read your books, mm-hmm. at the particular the second book, right. it just got to the point where it just exploded. You just couldn't. Right. It, it was either your life or talk to somebody. I mean, you were almost forced into it. Yeah. If you I, would take I, us through that, I had to. I had the the double uh, thing against me. You know, just being a you know a black woman, and also you know being an athlete. You know, as an athlete, we're taught you know be tough and and, and be strong. So that's our culture. And then on the other side, being a black woman is like okay, you know, we get through things. Um, I have a strong mm. grandmother. You know, she's been there for the family. So that's the example you learn from. And so I'm just like okay, well, you know what. I've I'm, um, got out the projects, you know, I went to college, I graduated, like, I really have nothing to complain about. So I just kept it inside, but after a while, it just, everything just kind of spilled over. And um, it was it was really, really, really a tough, tough and difficult time just not being able to express it. And when I finally did open up, it was like, girl, what you got to be sad about? You right. know, like, come on, like, you, you, you're doing really well. And so at that point, I was like, all right, let me just shut up again and let me just continue to move along. And what, what's it? What's it been like? I mean, how, how's your relationship changed with with friends, with people who knew you? Because there, there are things that happen. And again, you know, well, you could take us through that. But mm-hmm. what's it been like just dealing with friends or so-called friends, or you know, about right. the new Shamiqua, so to speak? Uh, you know, what it's um, all my friends are just like, especially my college roommate who I'm very close with, Zakia. Um, 
she's like, man, I've always loved you. You're a great person, but I just like you so much better mm. now. And <laughs> um, I think the thing when you go through what I went through, the, the imbalance, the ups and downs, you can sometimes hurt people and you, you, you just have to mend those relationships. Even with my own mother, I mean, we've been through um, hella back and when I went through my tough time with the um, incident uh, in 2012, mm-hmm. you know, my mother's like, I'm your child, I'm not gonna judge you, I'm always here from you. But then I had to think, I had to look about it. My mom is not judgmental because my mom has her own story. She's She's mm-hmm. been through um, fighting um, addictions, 20-something mm-hmm. years, wow. you know, sober. So she knows what it's like to, to get your life together and to get back on track. Mm-hmm. And so she knew I was derailed and the things that were going on. She's like, you know, I'm here for you. Um, it's going to be okay. And the, things started to change and I became better. She's just like, I'm, I'm just so proud of you. Mm. My friends are friends are the same way, you know. But it's just interesting when some of them tell you like you were a a hole, very difficult to deal with. Mm. And I mean, most people are like, really, like Shamiqua, right. and I guess I was. Mm. I guess I was. How how difficult was it to for you to to shoot all this uh, as a, as a, as a producer and as a director? Uh, I mean, it's one thing to have Shamiqua talk about it, but how do you capture this as as a as a filmmaker? As a, as a documentarian, how do you, what, what's the approach to, to, uh, to bringing this, this really emotional story to light? Well, that's a really interesting question, Bill. Um, when I first approached Jamaica in the first six months of the project, it was a story, it was a nice, neat, tidy story um, of her evolution in her past. And then there was an incident, um, you know, a real setback for her, um, that that changed everything, and that you know that's in the film. But that happened six months into the into the filming, and it put you know her life kind mm. of um, took a different turn and put her life in jeopardy, and and you know less important, it put the film in jeopardy. And oh, really? so we mm. each consulted with each other and and with friends and family and colleagues, and we both agreed that her. This was her deepening journey could be more powerful and more revelatory and more instructive and more real for what it says about mental illness um, and the way we as friends and family and society deal with the, with the challenges than either of us had first envisioned. So we decided to move ahead. I mean, we each had to independently make the decision. It was, of course, a tougher decision for Shamiqua. Um, but, you know, to her, her credit, you know, she had tremendous courage and did that and then it was a different type of film then it was a film mm. it was kind of um you know cinema verite if you will this is what's happening with shamiqua's life over the next couple of years um and how she's dealing with the changes and her development and her um continuing to deal with the, the mental challenges and the other challenges of her life mm. and so in that in that way it was a much richer film um, and it had more action and more meaning. Well, action, yeah. But <laughs> I mean, <it's> yeah. <laughs> anything, anything for action. Uh, if um, it, I mean, I wouldn't be a journalist if I can. I don't want to dwell on it, but just right. take us through what happened. And mm-hmm. and then I'm really more I'm curious about the the relationship. Right. If, if you still have a relationship, if mm-hmm. once things happen, mm-hmm. and maybe people realize that there is an illness involved. Right. And okay, now let's revisit this relationship now that we've got it in right. context. But just take mm-hmm. take us through. Um, you know, after that incident where um, I had fired my um, personal weapon in my ex's car, and when it happened, I just 
it was just like light. I can remember just like bright lights and you know my hands shaking. I'm looking um, at that gun and like the passenger seat of the car and like only thing I could really think about was like I should just I want to put this barrel to my head and like pull the trigger. It mm-hmm. was that dark and next thing I know like I'm just surrounded at my house by friends and they're like you know you like blacked out and told me what I did and I was just like are you serious and I remember talking to that individual and it's like you know it's everything's okay you know this is what you did and I had to go through the court stuff and being a a public eye but you know at the end of it finally um, I want to say last summer um, I got a call and it was just like you know I I forgive you Mm -hmm. Um, the individual like lived at that time down the block from me and we got up we hung out a couple times went to go eat and it's just like I'm here I'm here for you if you need me but at that time you know when something like that happens it creates like a you know a bridge and I had really like grew up grew up a lot from that incident and got the help that I needed and I just wanted a new beginning you you can't some people will feel comfortable of going to repair something like that mm-hmm. me personally I didn't I didn't feel that I needed just to move forth was that the incident that I mean obviously it sounds like a breaking point mm-hmm. but but was it before then even that you felt like you needed help or? um yeah because I was like um experiencing like moments of like I guess like mania in a sense um from what I understand from my my doctor so when you start to have like blackouts and things like that it's, it's not healthy like something's going on and um, finally, I was able to get help. It took a it took a long time, you know, a little over a year, meeting with psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, forensic psychiatrists. You know, just giving a investing a lot of money and a lot of time into <laughs> right, it. Right. Um, That's the problem. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm blessed that I was able to do that. And finally, after all these years, to be um, diagnosed with bipolar two, to get on the proper medication. And to see it work for me and to to know that I can now be healthy because a lot of people don't have the resources and that's the thing, you know, you, you know, families are torn apart by, you know, health insurance a lot and and not having access to medication. How how does that make you feel? Okay, so now you're diagnosed, Mm -hmm. you have medication. How how do you feel about your past now and and that maybe you if you would have known this earlier, you know, what could have been different? Um, I'm very when it first hit and I would talk to my therapist I was angry I was angry because I had to access and I'm going to these doctors and you know she explained to me you know it takes sometimes with people with your diagnosis 10 years mm. 10 years to get put on the proper medication and there's moments that people don't understand if you don't know about mental mental health it's like I've been on medication that's made me sick I meant bent mm. over stuff that has made me even worse and triggered other responses and so being on something that stabilizes you and you feel good, you're not lethargic, you feel like you're living, like mm-hmm. a human, you know, feeling alive, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that playing ball helped or hurt? Uh, I think we talked about how a lot of times being an athlete masks the stuff because mm-hmm. people don't really deal with something that might be wrong with you, just great. Mm-hmm. We talk about Ron Artest. Right. Same thing, because you're so good, you just sort of get passed along mm-hmm. and I wondered in, in, in all this is in retrospect do right. you think that in retrospect playing as much fame as you had and, and all that did it, it did it put off this day did it did it sort of push back the day that you actually discovered what was going on oh oh definitely because when the things are rolling and, it's, and things are going good even though I was having those setbacks and feeling down and would talk to people 
um, you know, you still you're like, okay, I got this game. Mm-hmm. You have you're like, I got to get prepared. So you sweep things under a ru- uh, under the rug, and I kept doing that. You know, I'm talking to, oh, you know, I think I need to go talk to somebody. All right, got a game tomorrow. Got to get in the zone. And then when you're out there, that feeling, you know, for me, I'm chasing that high. That that was my illness. I I want to feel that like climax almost of, of emotions and um, that's what basketball was giving me so when I was out there competing I'm in my zone like I remember a comment that my uh, college coach made and she's like it's it's something about Shamiqua you know she's going to be ready it's like she smells the popcorn and she just <laughs> she, she gets in the zone and it's, it's yeah. true like I was just yeah. like whew like and then when that was over mm. everybody else would be like oh you know in the locker room and I'm just like alright I want to get out of here I want to just go home or you know just be by myself and it's like I couldn't sleep I would be up and it was it was just like this uh, felt tormented and on the, on the other side of it I mean you kind of referenced this earlier but do you feel like the problems you had mm-hmm. you know early, even early on mm-hmm. made you a better player um, it, it made me those those problems early on um, for a lot of um, kids that grew up like I did and, uh, and like Ron Artest and the guys. We know that's how ticket out sports, mm-hmm. you know. So I put a lot into it and invest. If someone tells you, you know what, you're a good student like I was, and and, and Ron also like you can go to any school you right, want to. Right, right. And like, you know, I, I was already in private school, but I'm like, okay, college, like that's expensive. Like my family's not gonna be able to afford this. But if you tell me if I if I go hard at something, like man, I could, and those letters are coming in right. and you're like, yeah, you put every everything into it. You're not worried about it. You're just like on a mission. Right. Mm-hmm. Did, so, did did uh, have you spoke to Ron? Uh, I mean, do you guys talk a lot? Yeah, about yeah we we a couple of years we did a panel um, together, and I talked to him um, every now and then. But mm-hmm. I've really be- gotten close with his brother uh, Daniel. Oh yeah, yeah, he was actually the thing, right? He was yeah, Daniel yeah. <laughs> yes, we've we've gotten very close mm-hmm. over the years. And Ron Ron Artest met a world peace. Now he's in the film too, uh, we, so. as he well should be. I was telling uh, Shamiko that I I saw. You know bits and pieces of it. I was trying to like see where I was. <laughs> what, they, what they call it? They call it in, in a book. They call it the Washington Read. Mm-hmm. The Washington Read. You go right to the index mm-hmm. and you see where your name is mentioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I at first when I first got um, Coach Summers latest book, that's what I did. <laughs> and then I went back and I was like, let me read it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, wait a minute. What's that first thing you do? Back. See, three, two. Page two to three, right? Then page five <laughs> to seven, and then you look at the one ten to thirteen. You know what? Now you know it's funny. I was going to ask you um, about someone. It's so ironic mm-hmm. in a way that she had issues, um, and, which is yeah. you know it's a little different, but it's in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Just about who would have thought? I mean, Coach, Coach Summit. Um, I think Dean Smith had the same yeah, thing. Right, am I yeah, correct? Yeah. And it's a lot of the great ones that are just affected by this, and it's really sad. It's been um, something that we've seen just like take her over, and, and it's tough going to visit. I was very close to her, and I am still very close to her. Just seeing her, just seeing her mind, just mm-hmm. like slowly, just um, just like leave her body. But she's she's doing well. She's living the the living the lap of luxury, and has <laughs> a lot of people taking care of her. She's smiling, even still talking a little bit of trash. She did, last uh, time she was like, "What are you laughing at? You need to come visit more." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a character. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you inside the games we love. 
This is Bill Roden on Sports. My guest is uh, Shamiko Hoskoff. Um, the the film that's uh, going to be coming out May third is Mind Games, the unquiet and quiet journey of Shamiko Hoskoff. Um, a couple things before we let you go. It's been a it's been a whirlwind for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been doing a lot of promoting. Mm-hmm. So thank you very much for you know uh, throwing a pass over here. Oh, but thank you. Um, and this has nothing to do with mental health. Okay, in a way. UConn, the Huskies, uh, a lot of other teams. We got to talk about Huskies. the Huskies. Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering again. This is completely. Mm-hmm. I'm in Chicago at the regional the, mm-hmm. the, you know, for the NCAA tournament, the, the men's tournament. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at the game, and they're beating this team by like sixty something points. Yeah. So my first thing is now. I don't know. I don't know if they're doing the game any favors by by doing this. But then I thought, and so I wanted to ask you about that, the Diamonds, because there was a time back in the day, I'm sure they were saying the same thing right. about Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you guys win too much. Yeah. You you dominated. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you think? I mean, you, you have the perspective of being on a dynasty. Now you see UConn just destroying everybody. Mm-hmm. Is it good for the game? Um, you know, first of all, I got to give much respect to them because to get in this day and age, I think kids are really like selfish and they want to go to a team where they're the man or the woman to get a group of young ladies who are talented to come together and to create the type of machine that they do. That's much respect to the coaches um, and the players. And I just think, you know, it's uh, I, I think it's good for the game. The other schools got to step it up. I know I'm yelling at our girls, <laughs> like, get it together, you know, the post-summit era. But, you know, there's a lot of players out there, and I know a lot a lot of coaches are upset. You know, they're like, oh, you know, UConn, all the best players go there. All right, you got to improve your recruiting, right. you know, and got to get your players to play together. That's what separates them. It's like a, it's like a machine, like a fine art. You just see the ball move. Right. It touches everybody's hands. A lot of um, teams are in building that same structure and system. Right. It's not all the pl- all the good players going there. There's only yeah, 10, yeah. 10, 12 uh, spots on the floor. So. You're, you're right. But they're getting it done. And they're, they're dominating. I mean, it was like 60 points in Elite Eight, I think, against Mississippi State. I'm like, what is this? Have you ever beaten somebody like that or been beaten? I know you've never I know you've beaten somebody Yeah, we've like beaten that. somebody like that. <laughs> I, I've never experienced a beating like that. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, wow. I mean, no, she'll drop 50. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, and, and, and also just, again, while we're on that, about, about the um, – could you have played longer? Um, you know, I I could have I could have came back um, after I tore my Achilles, uh, and you know I re- I regret it because I'm very uh, a strong will person, and I know that life has like um, you know waves, and you gotta learn how to ride it, all that good stuff. And I think once I um, the situation legally once it got over, I should have just came back and played. Um, but then I was like, no, I don't feel like dealing with the media and this whole thing again. I'm, I'm happy and stuff like that. So I just let it ride. But I, I should have came back for at least another two. You know, I felt like that that's one thing that um, that I, I regret about my, my legacy is just not coming back to cap it off. Mm. And do you like where the uh, WNBA is now? That's 20th anniversary. Who would imagine? I mean, uh it's um it's it's growing. Uh, there's so many different ways that it's growing. I remember when I first started, it was um a situation where you know 
we talked about this before as far as marketing. I think your daughter got on you about it also. Um, I think you said something about when it was the NFL lockout, right? And you were like, what are they going to do now? Watch the WNBA. Uh, and I said that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And um, his daughter gave him a hard time. I'm shocked. <laughs> Me? Well, listen, I'm a recovering sexist. Uh, yeah. but, he, but he's doing better. So he gave us, a, he gave the ladies, a, I think, an article in the New York Times. And it just showed, you know, how the game has grown, how um, they're embracing their fans, the LGBTQ uh, community. And so that was great. And, you know, you just got to let things flow. Sometimes I think, um, you know, people want to try to control a product. You have this product, you want to control it. And it's not who his true self is. So I think now the fans are embracing it more like, hey, it is what it is. You know, these ladies respect them, they can hoop. And there are majority of ladies, once they shower and come out the locker room, are beautiful and gorgeous. Stop judging us True. how we look mm-hmm. when we are Absolutely. out there working. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. But in a, in a society as a whole, I mean, everything, women are constantly, no matter what you do, women are judged by their looks. Yeah, and it's such a sad thing. Right. Like, my, And I have my guy friends that come, he's like, man, when they come out the locker room, these girls look good. But you mm-hmm. see us on the court, we're working, we're sweating, right. we're, we're aggressive with each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was something that I think the league had to get over as a whole. But now, um, you know, a lot of, a lot more um, people are out there supporting it. Mm-hmm. Actually, we've had Tamika Ketching on the show. Mm-hmm. We've had uh, Candace, Candace Wiggins. Sweet okay, Cash. awesome. Now you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a believer. I like the games. I, I think you had to... I, you had to see it as competition. Mm-hmm. Now, we talked about this before with Swan and Candace. It's like when you watch college basketball, mm-hmm. men or women, you can't compare to the NBA. It, right. it, it, it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. college basketball. And when you watch the WNBA, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. You're not comparing it. You want to see competition. Right. And that's it. You want to see people competing. Mm-hmm. And, once, and once I got into... This is maybe the past two, three years, just getting into competition. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to see people compete. And that's it. That's all that you can ask for in anything. When I go see a college game, I'm not comparing it to the NBA because it's yeah. a completely different different game. Mm-hmm. You know, by the way, what do you think of the national championship game? Uh, well, the women. I mean, this is, is another blowout. Yeah, that was another mm. blowout. I cut it off. I would check the score, but I cut it off at the halftime. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, I was like, okay, UConn's about to win. I don't want to feel bad about my Tennessee days right now because <laughs> they won four in a row, first team to ever do so. But that Villanova shot was it was really exciting. Mm. And that's my friend's son, too. So oh, really? I, I, was, I was excited for her. Uh, uh, Jenkins. Chris, Jenkins, Chris, Jenkins, yeah. His mom, you know, she taught him how to play basketball. Really? Yeah, yeah. She's a bas- college basketball coach. I don't think she's coaching now, but yeah, awesome. Wow, that was, if she taught him that shot, that was one of the, <laughs> Jamal, we were, we were mm-hmm. in Houston, mm-hmm. right. and we thought, you know, we looked at the uh, the three-point shot, actually, mm-hmm. by, uh, what's his name? Um, Marcus, uh, Marcus Page. Page. Oh, yeah. That was mm-hmm. actually... It, that it was, was actually the game winner. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, they were behind by three, right. and to take an off-balance three, mm-hmm. so we're thinking, you know, overtime, right? Right. Yeah, I was thinking when he hit that, I'm like, this kid, like, he had the perfect story. You know, his mom's a right. coach, his right. dad taught, like, I'm like, oh, he plays for Carolina, number one team, it's over. Right. And then here comes this guy with this last minute shot. When I thought the other gentleman driven up the court was going to shoot right. him. Right. Right. Guard the trailer. He just comes, right. walks into the shot, game right. over. Right. That, and that's what he said. In fact, it, he was supposed to take the shot. Yeah, the coach, yeah, the coach did He's, explain that. And, and it's so funny, you saw that. They asked the guy, if you saw it, it was almost a, a perfect shot. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, look, I said, man, they give this guy too much time mm-hmm. to come up here. But then he shot. It's like the playground. I said, well, Chris, what did you think when you took the shot? 
he said, game over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His, his mom, Felicia, was, was very proud. I was loving it. Right, right. <laughs> she, loving jumped, it. Yeah, she jumped yeah. in his arms. That was great. Uh -huh. that was great, great story. Yeah. Well, um, Shamiqua Holskar has hit a lot of game-winning shots mm -hmm. in her career. And with this uh, documentary, uh, Mind Games, a unique journey of Shamiqua Holskar, I think this is another game-winning shot yes. at, at, at even larger levels. I think it tells mm -hmm. some truths that need to be told. Uh, you're very heroic for doing it. Thank you. Uh, Rick uh, Goldsmith, uh, I can say first, I'm very tenacious, my friend, in terms of <laughs> tracking people down and getting them to like go up to the gym and spend like an hour interviewing. Yeah. But it was a very worthwhile mm -hmm. project, worthwhile endeavor, um, and hope a lot of people see it. You get what you want out of it. You get the message out that right. you want to get out. Definitely. And well, uh, we, uh, just one more word on that, Bill. We we. We do want to get what's so wonderful about Shamiqua's story. It is, it is a unique story. Anybody's story is unique. But, you know, mental illness is arguably the biggest social issue facing this country. One out of five people goes through um, some sort of, you know, mental disorder in any given year. So it touches really every family. And I think that's what we're Absolutely. finding as we show the film. It's a very um, exciting film, a very poignant film. Mm. And it's also one that's relatable to just about everybody. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so heartwarming to me as we go around the country. Shamiqua and I have actually been together at um, many Q&As together, and the discussions go on and on. And people reveal their own stories uh, during those discussions. They feel very safe. So that's heartwarming to me, and I think we just we need more of that. We need to open up the discussion get rid of the stigma, and make people more comfortable talking about mental health and mental illness. It's, it's just too important to bury. Do you have anything planned for New York in uh, maybe late April, May, in terms of forums or screenings? Um, we've had a couple of showings in New York, and we, have, you know, we put more on the calendar every month. Um, so we don't actually have a, uh, you know, an, um, an event in New York coming up. But, of course, we have a nationwide broadcast that begins uh, um, on May 3rd. Or, or anywhere else outside of New York. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah. We oh, have yeah. national yeah. Yeah. We have a whole list, mindgamefilm.org, mm -hmm. and all of our upcoming events will be on that website. My guest has been Shamiqua Hoskall and Rick Goldsmith. The documentary is Mind Game, The Unquiet Journey of Shamiqua Hoskall. You can catch it May 3rd. 9 p.m. on Logo. Yeah. So check it out. Uh, check it out. Right. Uh, Rick, thank you so much. Shamiqua, you're the best. Oh, you're thanks. the greatest. Thanks for having me once again. Yes, yeah, it's, it's all good. Mm. Everybody goes to the beach. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, Bill. It's yeah. terrific. All right. Thank you. Producer Pat back there. Jamal. Thank you. Bye, everybody. See you next week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.